Hi, Sunshine. I'm Natasha, your host of the Shine Online podcast and the CEO at Shine with Natasha, where I specialize in Instagram strategy and video storytelling. In this conversational podcast, I interview the brightest entrepreneurs I know and share my best Instagram strategies with the goal of empowering you to do business in a way that feels real to you. These conversations will bring you no fluff advice, honest conversations, and actionable strategies to help you shine online. There are so many bright brands in the online world, but there's always room for one more. Let's shine together. Hey, Shine Online fans, I'm Ellen Yin, podcast host of Cubicle to CEO. Our show brings you data-driven case study interviews so you can borrow one new revenue growth strategy every Monday from a top entrepreneur who has already tested the strategy in their own business and will show you how to implement what worked in yours. You'll also love my solo quarterly income reports where I transparently share exactly what my media company makes, spends, and profits every 90 days. Listen to episode 125 on Cubicle to CEO, where I break down how we made over $746,000 in 2021. You are listening to the Shine Online Podcast. Here's your host and my friend, Natasha Samuel. Hey, Lisette. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. It feels like I'm taking the DM combos into IRL. <laughs> I know. I know. We were like talking off recording of like, we've like coaching each other's programs. We like chat all the time on Instagram. We've been in lives and like clubhouse rooms, like all the things. And now we can like chat truly like on the podcast. I'm so excited about it. Same. Thank you. Cool. So tell us a little bit about your background and all the different things you do in your business, because I think what I love so much about what you do is that not only are you on the like actual influencer side of things, but you're also on the brand side of things. And you have so many incredible skills. You're a speaker, just educator, awesome human. So give us the whole lowdown. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm Lisette, a human that lives in New York, or rather a human that lives in Denver, Colorado, if you're listening yeah. at this point. And I actually started my career in the PR space. So for those who aren't familiar, public relations, you're kind of working with press and journalists 24 seven, trying to get them to cover your brand's story. And at one point we realized that not just journalists, but bloggers were really valuable. This is the year of the blog. So we started to shift from running after journalists to running after real people who have blogs. And mm -hmm. as social media evolved over time, that's where the traditional influencer, as you know it today, kind of came in. But it all really started with finding the gatekeepers of, you know, the people who would really be good endorsers of our brand, finding the people who were good storytellers and just kind of evolving with social media as it went. So when I say I'm the brand, I've been working on the brand side, hiring creators and influencers for most of my career before full-time taking it to myself. I was working at Ogilvy, which was a dream to work their biggest advertising agency. I'm like such a nerd about the industry. And I was their director of influencer marketing. And I just decided, you know what? I keep trailblazing in all the places I'm being hired in. Why don't I just go do my own thing? So that's where the genesis of technically the consulting side of my business came about. <laughs> 
But if you're paying attention, of course, I'm working with all these influencers. And in many ways, I was sometimes paying influencers like my whole year salary off just one post. <laughs> so I asked yeah. myself, okay, well, how can I also become a creator? How can I also take advantage of the industry and where it's going? So that is where I actually first started my blog because, you know, I'm following along what I'm seeing. I start the blog. I start the Instagram. I definitely had like a YouTube week and really trying <laughs> to build as the industry evolves. But what's interesting to that part and why I like saying it that way is that for a long time as a creator, I was really kind of doing what I thought needed to get done, right? So I'm seeing, oh, blogs are a thing, must have a blog. Instagram's a thing, must have an Instagram. And that was a quick way for me to kind of burn out and not really develop a personal brand, just kind of following what I think is trending or what I think I need to be doing, seeing what other influencers are doing, posting and trying to recreate that essence or that lifestyle. So all that led me to a moment in 2018, I came to the realization that I was kind of just a collage of all these other influencers and didn't really have my own voice. And I spoke up about it on social media. And when I spoke up about it, it went viral. So a journalist talked about, you know, cause I was really transparent about money and how much influencers make and how much money I've spent trying to be an influencer. It went viral. And I think that that was kind of in 2018, the moment where I realized, okay, as a creator, I have a platform to stand on and I need to now build on that brand. As a consultant, I have a business that I can create because I've built all this expertise and authority over the last few years. So put all those things together. And that's where Influence with Impact was born. So we're a consultancy and we do provide brands by way of agency stra strategy, right? So an extension of their team, helping them with influencer content, also creating content as a creator, and then as an educator and coach on all things influence business, because that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. And I love it because it like proves that you are just like truly the real deal in terms of like, you've tried it all, but also like you've implemented it all for other brands. And I love how you said personal brand, because I feel like creators and influencers often think of, I need to find a niche. I need to find a niche without really thinking about how can I develop a true brand? And I feel like that's where you can, what you do so well is you speak up about things. You like kind of go against the grain and a lot of the things, which is like where that viral piece of content came about, but it's something that you continue to do as your brand. Like, what would your advice be for people that are like wanting to go a little bit deeper of like, I'm, I'm posting in this like surface level way. And I want to like create a more well-rounded brand, even as a creator, right? Yeah. You always have to go back to your personal story and it sounds like the most basic task, but I promise you many people skip it. You mm -hmm. usually start creating content strategically, which is crazy because you'd think that people just kind of go in as a hobby, but a lot of people go in thinking I'm going to post three times a week. I'm going to be in this niche. I'm going to have this category. And they totally forget about the person behind all of that. And it's actually, as you're saying, the person behind all of that is what makes the biggest difference. One, because mm -hmm. people connect with and buy from people. So if you wanted to become a creator that is working with brands as a revenue stream, you need to build trust with people by way of your story. If you want to create a service in the future, people are going to gravitate towards yours when they get to see who you are as a person, what you stand for. And when I say what you stand for, we're not even talking about what are the, the bad things, the politics, religion, yeah. and, and spirituality. It's just, I want to know about your life and your perspective on life, right? Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes all those little 
in-betweens, those gaps that are really important. So that's why I always tell people, go back to your personal story. An exercise I like to give a lot of the creators I work with is give me three milestones and three obstacles and tell me literally what did it feel to actually hit those milestones? Not just what happened, but how did that feel and why was it so important to you? And then for the obstacles, why were you so hurt by that? What really stung about it? And of course, these are really hard questions to answer. So I recommend go journal in a safe space. But when you do this, you sometimes uncover, holy crap, this is why I'm doing this. I'm a fashion blogger, but it's because I had no self-confidence growing up and I want to express myself now through clothing. And it's all these little things that start to bubble up, you know, even the things that you think are not relevant, they're probably impacting the type of content you're making in some way. So if you start there, you start to now add that deeper layer of what exactly who you are as a person into the what you're doing. And then something I always tell people to remember is really visualize the person on the other side of the screen because then most of your content starts to become a little more contextualized like you're having a conversation with a person which then humanizes it a little bit right because if i stand here and i'm just like i did this this and that it's different than me saying hey have you ever had a moment where you completely messed up because i totally did and now telling that story just feels a little more connected and makes the person on the other side of the screen see me as a person and not as like a soapbox yeah and i feel like that is what makes creating content more fun right like when you were way back in the day you know like putting together all these things that you thought should be your brand now posting probably feels so much different and like your community senses that exactly it feels so good and i think again burnout is something that affects so many creators even people like us who are doing this every day yes yeah. we burn out every now and then but the way you prevent burnout is by really adding that layer of humanity and intention because then yeah. you're just reminded like it's not even about the likes like i'm just here to share my story today because i want to so it makes content yeah. so much more fun I agree. And what is your best advice for like combating that burnout? Cause I think there's like so many tactical things we can talk about. There's so many like mental mindset hurdles. There's like the physical boundaries that you create with social media, but I feel like just in general, I'm sure you've sensed it of just like this discouragement and this overwhelm with just social media and the changes around it. I know I hear it, especially with Instagram. So like, what is, what is your advice? Like, do you think there's like a one thing is there like a dynamic thing because i feel like there's ways to prevent that burnout yes. but it can be tough yeah i think so i actually talk about this little method it's my three-step method to kind of you know saying goodbye to all the limiting beliefs but this helps a lot with burnout and the theory is i want you to one disconnect because you can't actually heal from burnout while working right so you have to disconnect whether that means stuff is on auto post like you get to choose what your strategy informs but i need you to step away from that space and then i need you to fall into awareness and action and what i mean is you can't heal something you don't know exists. And with burnout, I think that awareness piece, it can be anything from talk to your peers about it, journal about it. If you need medical support, because sometimes burnout turns physical, go find it. But you need to come to an awareness place to figure out, wait, what exactly is happening? What is stressing me out? You know, there's a lot of creators I work with who are like, I'm burnt out. And I'm like, about what? <laughs> so you really yeah. have to kind of come in and talk about it and, and figure out the root cause 
so that then you can take action, right? So disconnect awareness and action. And that action for me, it's take opposite action for what you've been doing. So if I find in this awareness moment, you know, I'm burning out because I'm just forcing myself to make reels, you know, the gurus told me that's the way to grow. So now I have stuck myself in a cycle of making 10 reels a day and I'm super burnt out and stressed out. My opposite action is I'm probably going to literally stop making those reels. I'm going to take advantage of something like static posts again, go with memes now, like really take opposite action. And it's not so much that you're going to now I'm going to make a bunch of memes. It's that you are retraining your brain to realize you didn't need to make 10 reels a day. So it's more about taking opposite action to get yourself out of a cycle. And then usually you'll probably find a new groove. So the other thing I tell people to do a lot is like when you're burning out as a creator, it means it's time for some fun. It's time to experiment, but that's usually you taking opposite action and saying, I know I'm supposed to be doing this right air quotes supposed, but I'm going to do something completely different and just see what's up. And that feeling of doing something opposite to what you've been told is so freeing. And I think it really helps heal from burnout. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like giving yourself that permission slip because I feel like a lot of the, the, the tips you were giving, which are so great kind of come from when you're like forcing something, whether it's a certain type of content or a certain way of posting or how often you're posting or all these things that we think we need to do. And we almost like lose touch with like, why are we even doing all of this in the first place? Like, I love how you did um, a really great piece of content around like posting intentionally. We forget about, okay, we need to have goals and we need to do like hit these milestones and we forget of like, like, why are we even posting? Like why? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, you know, not our fault. The algorithm is built this way. It's built to put us on the hamster wheel for lack of a better word, but we need to come out and realize we are not products. We are people, right? So we can't function on a hamster wheel. We have to give ourselves permission to do things differently every now and then. And I mean, even on that topic, something I tell a lot of my clients is, all the things you're hearing gurus say, like myself included, right? Ask yourself why. Why why are they saying that this is a good hack right now? Because when you know the why, you usually stop putting yourself in a place where you have to do that. You're like, oh, it makes sense because... So maybe I'm not going to do it that way, but I'm going to know that if I want to grow, I have to do X, Y, Z, you know? So it's like you put your, you give, you get your power back and you realize, Mm -hmm. oh, I don't have to do that thing that the algorithm tells me is right or wrong. Yeah. That's such a different way to approach consumption in so many other ways, like in the education realm, but just in general of like, you can pick and choose what you absorb and what you apply and like that experience that you create. I want to talk a little bit about just content before we get into like the nitty gritty money, partnership, speaking, that type of stuff. So I'm kind of curious, like, what is something that you are loving right now in terms of content? Like, I feel like there's been such a shift of like, obviously we have the short form video and I feel like the like curated grid and aesthetic content is kind of shifting away. And obviously there's like all of these different platforms to choose from. So like, what are you personally maybe loving yourself or recommending for your clients? Cause we got a lot of options, right? 
so many options, which is honestly why Instagram is still my favorite platform. I know we love to hate on Instagram, yeah. but you actually have the most range to create different types of content, which I love and, and you can repurpose elsewhere. Yeah, but yeah. the content that I'm really, I mean, I'm a video binger and which is why I get so surprised when people are surprised about video being high performing because I'm binging video all day if I could. So for me, I have so much fun watching people recreate content, especially influencers I know or I have followed for a while, watch them recreate the same story in video format. For example, Chelsea as of late, who is a friend and someone I love and admire, she had these beautiful, creative, you know, not just Photoshop, but just like cool posing, cool colors. And she's now transformed that into Reels series, you know, 10 creative props. And she'll show almost like the behind the scenes and then the final product. And it's the same thing she was posting, but in a video format that is now just so easy to consume. So I find a lot of fun in watching that type of content. I also really love, I'm like calling it here first, there's a trend of people just doing random stuff around the house or on themselves, like putting on makeup, putting away their clothes, getting dressed and speaking to camera. So yeah, before yeah. where we used to just, you know, polished, speak to camera and give a video or, you know, use a mini mic, that was a little evolution. Now there's this, you know, idea that I'm just giving you this rant while I'm walking around the house. Or I'm just giving you this rant while I'm putting makeup on super casual. It's not casual, but I actually love it because in many ways I get hooked faster. So I can watch like an hour of YouTube of someone just putting on their makeup while talking to us about how they grew up. And there's, it's because your brain is now distracted by two things at once. So I'm kind of consuming what they're saying, but I'm also just intrigued by this person putting foundation on. And it sounds so strange, but it's the type of content that I love. And I feel like social media is catching on to that because I keep getting that type of content. I know exactly when I see someone about to put on that drip of foundation, I'm like, oh, the algorithm knows exactly what to give yes. me right now. So I've been actually trying it on my own. And of course my makeup routine is literally a minute. So it works out because I can make <laughs> short form content. I've been trying it. And I feel like those are the videos that are performing the best. So I do think it's just like a bigger trend, but I personally love it. And I, I can't wait to see more people do it. Yeah. I definitely have seen that on TikTok and kind of on stories and kind of on lives, like bits and pieces of like people still wanting like value to an extent. Like there's some type of focus, there's some type of gem or thought or rant, but it, it feels like you're sitting and like having that conversation almost like you're not being talked at, but like you're being talked to, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, exactly. It almost like breaks the fourth wall, you know, yeah. it's like you're sitting there and I may just be quickly like heating up my food and telling you about my theory of the algorithm, but it works because people just yeah. feel like I'm in your house right now. <laughs> mm, yeah. I really love that. Have you heard the news? Hot Instagram summer is back and better than ever for its second year from June 9th to the 10th. It is a two-day live summit virtually that is going to teach you how to create strategic content on Instagram and have more fun doing it. 
There will be four different sessions, including a masterclass on if I started my Instagram from scratch and why your Instagram engagement sucks, a hot seat workshop on how to create four days of content from one idea, and a mindset coaching session to help you rekindle your Instagram relationship. Your summit ticket gives you access to all four sessions, your hot Instagram summer passport, AKA workbook for taking action, replay access and crowdcast. So you can revisit the sessions anytime, even if you can't make it live and a chance to win exclusive giveaway goodies. So be sure to grab your ticket before we start our Instagram vacay. The link is in the show notes. Now let's Let's get back into the episode. I feel like that speaks on why you said you love video, you love consuming it, you love creating it because it just feels so dynamic. And I think we often put labels on what live video, what short form video, what long form video, like what all these types of videos should look like. But when we really think of it of like a visual storytelling tool that just has a few extra layers than just a caption or just a photo. That is why I like them as well. So I definitely agree with you. Love it. Cool. So let's talk about how do we start making some money with brand partnerships? Where do people start? Just give us, where do we start? Do we wait for them? Do we wait (laughs) till we have a certain amount of followers, which I know you're going to say no. Um, Where do we start? I do think you have to wait until you have a certain amount of authority and a certain amount of trust. Mm. And that there's no one perfect timeline for that or a perfect follower count because someone with 500 followers can have just as much influence as someone with 50,000 if they build trust in a different way, right? So what I like to measure is how engaged is my community with me? Is it clear what they trust me on? If yes, and if you're clear on your positioning as a personal brand and what you offer with your platform, then you are totally ready to work with brands. And I think the best way to also explain it is think about why brands would hire you. They hire you for access to that trust you've developed with a community. And yes, some people have a bigger reach of trust. And that's why some people can charge different prices. Some people are used for different types of campaigns, but you really just have to think about what trust am I building and what is my platform truly about? Now, in terms of literally, let's how do I book a campaign? I definitely think it's one of two things. You have to position yourself in a discoverable way. So if you've been listening to all things Natasha, then you've got it. But you have to position yourself in a way where brands will find you for the thing they're looking for, right? So if you're like, I really want to work with First Aid Beauty, this beauty brand, then you, you know, interact with them in organic ways or create the type of content that's complementary to their ethos and really just find a way to get on their radar. But if you ask me, second thing is proactively introducing yourself to brands, which people don't do enough of. I feel like if you scroll through TikTok, you think people are doing it because everyone's talking about pitching brands, but As a brand person, I don't get that many pitches a day and neither do our peers. So you're in a really good position to go in and introduce yourself, right? And what I mean is tell them what your platform is about, what your community trusts you on, and then start to build that relationship. It really is a relationship game and not in a sleazy way where it's who you know. It's just about how much time you've invested in showing them that you are the right partner for them. But you don't know how to be the right partner until you get to know them a little bit better, which is where that relationship kind of comes in. 
And I think if you are a creator just starting out, not even starting out to social media, but starting out to working with brands, the best thing you can do is also create moments throughout your platform that can show these brands what content with you might look like. Again, think about that beauty brand. You don't have to wait for them to pay you, but if you want to give us a review of the three things in your beauty closet right now, just so that they can see, and it doesn't even have to mention them, but just so they can see the type of content you make, that would position you in a really, really strong way. Mm, Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And when you were talking about that, it kind of got me thinking of like speaking, which in a way I feel like is like a similar type of partnership of like an exchange of energy and value for another exchange. And I feel like a lot of times people think like, well, I need to speak on a really big podcast first, or I need to like land a speaking gig. And it's like, you can like just start speaking on stories or like start speaking on lives or like start connecting with that uh, conference that you want to speak at. Like, I think that it's so underestimated, like those relationships and like putting in the action of doing what you want to attract and it will lead to when you do pitch or you get pitched yourself that like you're kind of ready to go you're already doing that action yeah exactly I want to talk about the money side of things because I feel like even with speaking with with speaking with brand partnerships that it's almost like I don't know if unregulated is the right word, but it's not consistent, right? Like, it's not like this is what you can expect to get paid from brands all the time. Right. And I feel like people really get stumped on, can I even charge? Like, first of all, like getting comfortable with that at first, let alone really understanding how to value what they have to offer and why they should get paid X amount. So let's talk about the money side of things. Like how do we figure out what we should be charging and how to negotiate to get that pay? Yeah. Well, you said something that is very important to all of this, which is not only what, but why you should be charging that knowing the why is what gets you more income. And I think that this is true for brand partnerships, but it's also true for speaking engagements. So really proving to them, this is exactly what you're getting and what I can offer. So that back to that trust piece with your community, right? So one thing to keep in mind is when you are talking to a brand, will they even pay me? That is exactly to your point. The first question that they ask, you have to realize that they're not just paying you for the moment, but they're paying you for the years, the years that you've spent building. And that's also the case for speaking. They're not hiring you for that hour. They're hiring you for everything else in between. So it's important to understand what you're giving up and and not in in a way that's at risk to you, but what you're giving up in a campaign. So looking at it from a very high level, you'll probably receive, hey, here's what I want you to do, the deliverables, right? So they'll tell you, I want you to post or I want you to make content for us, whatever that looks like. But then there's all these other terms and conditions. And I always tell people, don't wait for the contract. Talk about it up front. The things you can expect when it comes to content creation and working with brands is, yes, there's deliverables. There's always usage, right? You're creating content. Someone's always going to ask you to use your content in some way, shape, or form, whether that's as an ad, simply reposting. And again, understanding the why in the example of usage, 
you have to think about, man, I made this one piece of content, but now they're also using it as an ad to make more money off of my name and likeness. And now this one post I did is going to live for six months because they're boosting it for that long. So before, you know, I don't even need to give you the numbers formula. I just need you to think about that. Why? And that's something I spent a lot of time really educating people on, because again, now when you're negotiating, the best thing you can do is be in a position to not only know your number, but to understand why. Because when they come back and negotiation will always have back and forth. If you got an easy yes, that means you didn't charge enough. So they'll always come back and forth. And in that moment, that's where you can say, okay, they're asking for $2,000 less. Well, now that I understand why I can now figure out what do I want to give back, right? So, Hey, you know what? I don't want to give you all the rights to my content because of this budget discrepancy. So don't worry so much about the numbers, worry more about the why. Because something else that also happens is that sometimes there's brands that we really want to work with, like they are just awesome partners. And, you know, if you got too technical, you're going to lose that opportunity by not really seeing each other eye to eye and understanding why, right? Like, oh, we really want you to be exclusive to us for a month, meaning we never want you to work with competitors. Okay, cool. Why is that important to them? Is there something that maybe we can take away? Let's take away one of the deliverables to give that to them and just really find a way to meet each other halfway. That's what negotiation is really all about. So when it comes back to, again, content creation, deliverables, usage, exclusivity, and you've got to get to know the timeline and a little bit about the campaign itself. Why? Because I think, again, something else that people totally leave on the table in terms of money is understanding that you're producing something. You have production value. So in the beginning, when a brand is usually asking you to participate in the campaign, people don't ask about what's the timeline and can you just tell me a little bit more about what I'm actually creating? You think an Instagram post costs, but you don't think to make a one minute video outside day in the life, it's going to be way different than a selfie video on my phone. So you've got to know a little bit about what it, what it will look like to then be able to calculate those hard costs. And I think those hard costs are also some of the easiest negotiables, right? So if someone's telling you, you've got, you know, you're working with target and we want you to go to our store. Okay, great. Can you give me a $200 Uber credit? Like those are things that people can give you, you know, that are money left on the table. So long story long, know the big picture, but then also know that your value is not just dependent on that one moment in time. It's the value that you bring with all the years you've spent building. Mm, that's so helpful. And it's really like empowering, right? It like gives you that negotiation power to understand what you're worth and to basically partner with people that will give you that and that will meet you in the middle and that it can feel like a really great energy exchange. So I love that you shared that. And I know you were kind of talking about, you know, obviously you being on the brand side, and I know you shared about this from a creator side of things, but like what happens when like, what do people, what do brands think when you have ebbs and flows in your engagement? Because that happens. Is that a huge repellent? Is that something that they know was a part of the game? Like kind of walk yeah. us through that. Cause I feel like that's a big thing. People think is like, oh, well, what if my content doesn't perform well or are those types of different things? 
Yeah. So what's interesting is that if you're already being reached out to for a project, it's because a brand appreciates and likes your public information, right? So they, whatever you think is low engagement, they don't think that because they're asking you to work with you. There are on occasion, those brands who, in my opinion, are not very professional and will try to stump you on pricing based off of numbers. But that is something that, again, if you feel disrespected, that is your moment to walk away because that whole campaign is probably going to be just as disrespectful. <laughs> but when you're actually working with a brand, I think this is what happens more often than not, is you work with a brand and all of a sudden it is not the day. And this actually happened to me recently. I feel like my story views have been really great lately. I'm trying not to mess with whatever I'm doing. And then I had, and, and just for contextuality and numbers, so on average, I've had about 3,000 story views. I did a brand campaign in this period of time and I had 300 story views. And I was like, they're going to think that I totally buy, like if you can even buy story views, but they're going to yeah. think I'm doing something <laughs> because they definitely have seen my work. Um, and I talked about public data, but they were one of those brands who upfront, they want to know, hey, can you show us some insights? This is very normal. So I'm like, oh gosh, but you have to remember that a, again, brands, like we get that some days Instagram is not great, but we also have to report to the brand, the marketing manager, who's going to be like, what the heck happened? So whatever you can do to mend that relationship. And in this very literal example, I saw those story views. I was shook to the core. And when I was sharing these analytics, I said, by the way, this is, you know, not standard for my story views, but I would love to offer an in-kind extra set of stories just to make up for that. And again, I know that I did nothing wrong. That is Instagram and we can't control it, but this is just in the spirit of partnership. I am now making this brand representative, making their job a little bit easier. Something else that you can do, let's say that you took photography. I do this often because again, I don't know why reach on promoted or when something is using that paid partnership tool. I know it's a theory. It's not proven, but I always think it's going to be reduced. So I'm ready to give in some things. And something I've done in the past is if it's photography, I'll give them the rights to my content for a little bit longer, for example. So you don't actually have to make more work for yourself, but just really give them something that feels good in the spirit of partnership. If you don't do this, it's not a bad thing either. It's not like you're never going to get worked with again, but I think it just makes you a more valuable partner because now what you're doing is you're showing to them that you're a smart marketer. You understand that whatever happened there is not normal. So you want to give them a little something extra. Mm, I think that's so accessible too. Like it feels like, oh, like I can, I can do that. Like I can figure it out. I don't have to overthink it or overanalyze it, which I think is where the pressure of feeling like it was like a failed partnership versus like knowing that there's still back and forth that can happen. So um, I love that you shared that so transparently. So thank you for that. And I kind of want to just end things off on like, community on social media. It's like such a big word. I know we've talked about it of like building a community and how you can eventually monetize your community and that you can build, you know, a really amazing opportunities for yourself based on the community that you create. And how do we do that in this day and age where it can feel just overwhelming on how, like, is there a specific hack? Is there a specific tip you have to post as many characters? I mean, I'm sure I know you've seen it all too. So what is your yeah. thought process behind like really getting that engaged, yeah. really intentional community, even if it's not a lot of people, right? 
Yeah. I think it really goes back to knowing who you're speaking to. And I think where people get stuck is they either go to their analytics and think, well, they're 24 to 48 and half male, half female. Um, or they say, well, I don't know who I'm talking to because everyone's so different, but you really have to almost create this persona. I know a lot of us think of ideal client avatar, those types of marketing language, but you've got to know just another person on the other side of the screen. And what I always say is that it's a fun exercise to almost envision what their lifestyle is like. What are their frustrations? What are their, the things that bring them joy? What are the things they're Googling? Because that can then make things a little bit more interesting when you're creating content and knowing that you're serving up their needs really well. And of course, if you're idealizing someone, they may or, that literal person may or may not exist. But what you're doing now is your content is becoming more intentional for someone that shares those characteristics. And I do believe that you build a lot more community when you do that work of figuring out the exact lifestyle of one human being and then speaking like you're speaking to that person all the time. I'll give you an example. On my end, I can, you know, let's say one of my pillars is social media tips. There are hundreds of thousands of ways of doing social media tips, but the type of person I really, I really want to attract is someone who loves to have fun, who is down to say, screw the algorithm, because that's how I am. So the way that I'm giving social media tips, it's less about here's one thing to do on your stories today. It's more about here's something you probably didn't know, but screw the algorithm, like at the end, right? So those little things, I say them because the person I'm idealizing also feels burnt out by the algorithm. That's just one of their frustrations. They're so annoyed. They don't want to hear it anymore. So the way that I deliver the content is so specific to that person, but I'm attracting a hundred other people to be like, I feel this. All those hundred people are not the same person, but they share characteristics. So I do think to build community, you've got to know who you're trying to talk to on the other side. If you feel stuck, you can always go back to your own community and ask them qualitative questions on something like Instagram stories for people who are on YouTube or TikTok. I've seen people do it on a video and just ask people to comment, but that can be a nice starting point for you to know like, what are some things that annoy you about, you know, whatever category you like talking about? What are some stories to tell? Little things like that where you can start to get to know people and use that as a brainstorming point to then literally building this profile of a person. Mm, I love that. It just makes your content creation experience just so much more dynamic and so much more thoughtful and value driven. And I just love that approach. So thank you for sharing that and all your amazing wisdom around brand partnerships. I know it kind of like even encouraged me. I'm like, okay, maybe I need to get back in the game. Lisette just told me to, she gave me the hype up. So thank you for all these amazing tips. Definitely let people know where they can connect with you, where they can learn more from you and give us all the links and details. Amazing. And one thing I will also say is I think a lot of service providers like yourself, like myself, are always told that you can't do both, right? You think only the traditional influencer can work with brands, but remember you are all personal brands and you all probably have influence on something. So shop your medicine cabinet, your desk, your phone apps, figure out what you have influence on. I'm sure there's something in there. And that's a good way for you to kind of lead, start thinking about how you can work with brands. But in any case, 
how you can find me. I am, of course, Lisette at Lisette Calv and Influence with Impact on Instagram. We do have a couple ways of working with us. We do have a mastermind that's specific to really building out that business of influence. So taking your personal brand on social and monetizing it by way of brand partnerships and building community, which is very important for the things you maybe want to do after you graduate. And we also do have a course all on influencer pricing and negotiation. So if you're someone who's listening, you're like, I think I got this, but I really don't know how to price myself, then that is the place for you. And you can always DM me if you have any other needs and we'll figure something out. So yeah. Amazing. Yay. Okay. We will definitely leave those links in the show notes. Thanks for hanging out with me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into today's episode. I hope you loved the gem shared. Be sure to check out any of the important links I mentioned in the episode show notes. Don't forget to follow the show to be the first to know when our next episode airs. If you loved what you heard, I'd so appreciate it if you left us a review as it really helps support the show. I love seeing your takeaways from the episode over on the gram, so be sure to tag me in your stories at Shine with Natasha. Remember, regardless of where you're at in your entrepreneurship journey, there's always room for your biz to shine. See you next time.